Hello, frazzled women. Welcome to another episode of Le Vital Core Salon. And as you know, this is the virtual lounge for frazzled type A's, imposters, and activity addicts. I'm your host and salonier, Cara Martin-Snyder. And I just wanted to remind you, I know the little E for explicit in iTunes is usually a dead giveaway, but just in case you missed it, this podcast features adult women having adult and sometimes potty-mouthed conversation. So if you're hanging out with someone that won't appreciate that kind of parlez-vous français, then this is a good time to grab some headphones or hit pause until you can get to a place where you can continue listening. Each episode, it is my pleasure and self-defined duty to introduce you to a modern woman leaving their unique stain on the world without letting bullshit or burnout slow them down. And today, I want you to meet the one, the only, Donna Cohen of Donna Cohen Strategies. She is an attorney with a boutique practice in the spheres of entertainment and sports. And I can tell you, I am so excited that she said yes to this interview. Both of us were speaking on on different panels at the Woman of Eisenberg conference back earlier this year at UMass, because we're both UMass alumni. And I went to her panel on negotiation, because I think you all know by this point in the show that I'm a geek about it, and it's really important And I'm so deeply appreciative that Donna said yes to this interview. She's doing some really fabulous stuff, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But one of the ways that I feel the geekiest about being a podcast host is when I'm actually trying to get women to say yes to the show. And sometimes I realize how deeply uncool I can be at moments and the place that I feel the most uncool most consistently in my life is when I am in the presence of a really awesome woman who is doing really amazing things that immediately drops onto my wish list for guests for this show and I'm so in awe of what they're doing that sometimes it's easy for me to get really intimidated by that and Donna was no exception, and I knew by the sheer volume of notes and quotes that I was scribbling as the panel was going on and as I was listening to what Donna was saying and just recognizing what a total pistol she is as a as a woman. Like, she's a powerhouse. Like, when you see her in action in person, there is no denying that she gets shit done. And I have to say, I have not found a cool way to approach women. I mean, with Donna, I literally, after the panel was over, made a beeline as she was like starting to leave the room. And I think my face got really hot and I, I feel like I bumble my words a little, which is so in contrast to talking comfortably with people one-on-one. So I don't know what happens, and maybe that's, I don't know, I, I don't know why I'm sharing this. Maybe I just, it's something to work on. But I think in some moments, it's amazing that some of the guests say yes. 
because I don't know if I would in that moment. And I really need to work on being less sweaty, I think, and spazzy in that initial ask. And maybe I'll get slicker as as that goes. But anyways, Donna said yes, and she's here. And she is someone that, let's just say, I wouldn't want to be on the other side of the negotiation table, but I'm incredibly happy to have Donna drop by Le Vital Core Salon. I think all of you listening will find that Donna is the consummate professional and really just someone fierce about breaking gender barriers and supporting women and supporting her clients. And she also is willing to share in a really special and honest way where she has her shit together and where she doesn't and mistakes she's made and what she's learned from them. She offers some really practical advice for dealing with haters. I know we all run into people that criticize our work or criticize who we are, and she has some really great tips on how to manage that in the moment. We're also going to talk about negotiation. I know, surprise, it is a theme of this show for certain, but Donna is going to bring some really amazing advice from a 30-plus year career of being a trial attorney and then also having this boutique practice where she is an advocate for people you watch on TV and movies and people you see play professional sports. And really, I want you to stick around for this episode because we all have to negotiate every day in all sorts of different ways. And she brings some really useful and practical tips, especially around how to save face when you need to change direction in a negotiation or also when you need to buy some time to research something because you don't know the answer in that moment. So really, stick around. There's so much in this episode. It's a really packed episode. So please stick around. And if you want to make sure that you're notified of new podcasts rolling out, one of the best ways to do that is signing up for the newsletter. And so you can do that right at levitalcoresalon.com. And that's L-E-V-I-T-A-L-C-O-R-P-S and salon, like hairdressing salon. And without any further ado, voila, meet Donna. Hey, Donna, welcome to Le Vital Core Salon. Good afternoon, Kara. Thank you so much for asking me to share in your afternoon. I'm, I'm privileged and I'm excited. I think everyone listening is going to be super excited to hear what you have to say. Because I know watching you on a panel at UMass talk about negotiation made me literally like chase you down the hallway to see if I could get you to be on the show. (laughs) I remember that. (laughs) I was so happy to hear someone actually enjoyed what I had to say. So thanks for the compliment. Yeah, you have so much to offer. And I'm, I'm just I'm gonna dive in and maybe ask As a starting question, you've been an attorney for more than three decades. How did you realize you were meant to be one? You know, it's funny that you ask that because I don't know if I realized that I was meant to be an attorney until much later in life. As I looked back over the course of where I was, where I thought I would be, and where I ended up, I had always been an advocate. 
even when I was in junior high and high school and volunteering in community organizations, mostly for helping kids who were less privileged. And I spent my high school year and my senior year uh, kicking the year off and working for the Office for Children as an advocate and thought ultimately I actually would be a game worker in New York and applied to law school and I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the law. I fell in love with being able to see what the universe had in store through the eyes of the law and how it could help protect people and advocate for people. And it wasn't until now where I have this new boutique type of business that I can see the road was meant for me to travel on. But as you know, we all go one step at a time and hope it leads in the right direction. Absolutely. It's like that Martin Luther King quote about taking that first step, even when we can't see the the full path, right? Exactly. In fact, most of the time, I don't know that we see the full path, because what we see is our path. Let's face it, it isn't always where we find ourselves ending up. Amen. I'm a refugee from the world of finance. I was a CPA and doing trouble debt restructuring. (laughs) And here I am hosting a podcast for women. (laughs) There you go. See, and this, for whatever reason, the work you did before you started hosting this podcast and helping other women to appreciate the craziness of our lives and how we get through the day and the choices that we make, you know, somewhere in there, finance had to play a part. And Lord knows why. Well, I can tell you why really quickly. It's It's cleaning up chaos. You know, I realize the thing that I've done in every job, whether it be in finance or whether it be a health and lifestyle strategist, it's cleaning up painful, chaotic situations. Well, then we have similar jobs. (laughs) Talk to me about that, because you said you have a boutique firm now. Can you give the audience members a little bit of an idea of what your work entails these days? Sure. Um, And it. It goes back to the days when I started to practice law and I was um, a trial lawyer. I wanted desperately to be a trial lawyer. Perry Mason was one of my favorite shows to watch and some of the more modern uh, police shows where they had, they had advocates in court fighting on behalf of either the police or the defendants. And as I lived through being a, an advocate for each of my clients, I noticed that I would get involved in more areas of their lives than just the single breach of contract or or other litigation matter in business. And I would actually get to know them and get to know them well enough that I could manage other things in their lives as an advocate, not necessarily in the courtroom. And then I tripped. That's how I call how I fell into my new business. (laughs) I, I do a lot of volunteer work. And I was in San Diego, and I was at a fundraiser for a small, wonderful art organization. And there was a young gal there who was an artist, and her face was completely painted. She used her face as a canvas, and she was 14. And I made a comment about her. Long story short, um, Angelina Jolie was doing a film on resilience, and this young gal had been chosen to be one of the women in the film. So, you know, famous last words, how can I be helpful, I said. (laughs) For the next three years, 
I worked with her as her advisor and her counsel. She was um, in the country without documentation. She was here from Mexico as a result of a violent, violent father. She had been homeless for the previous 10 years, living in shelters all over San Diego, and found art was a savior for her. So my job, I thought, was going to be negotiate the rights on the film, and it turned out to be negotiating a safe place for her to live, a school where she could learn, documenting her and all of her family, with, um, ultimately with green cards, so they could stay in the country without fear of being deported. And then I spoke about her rights as an artist and her rights in this documentary film. And I giggled at the end saying, I've learned more about law and the world in this project than I ever thought I would in a courtroom. And wouldn't it be funny if it won an Academy Award, which actually it did. Oh, my God. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. I had nothing to do with the film, but I did take and do take great pride in the work that I did in order to give her a foundation for going forward and to protect her in the process. And so I fell into this boutique business of doing exactly that for people in sports, people in entertainment. Sports and entertainment are inextricably intertwined, particularly today. And most especially for women who are breaking gender barriers. So I have the best best job in the whole world. Donna, you do have an amazing job. (laughs) What's so interesting about that is even just backing up, like you went to an art opening and a single conversation completely led to this entire career change for you. Yes, it did. That's kind of mind-blowing in its own right. Well, it certainly started the ball rolling. I think I could have, um, if I didn't care so much, and I think caring is a big part of the success that I have in my small business, I could have farmed out a lot of that work to other people, but I, I decided to spend the time learning immigration, learning about homelessness, learning about artists' rights, and learning about film and, and the rights in films myself so that I could supervise whatever was going on. And that was just a great gift. That was a great gift. And I met a lot of people along the way. It does take a village, but at least I was lost in the right direction because I did my own homework. Have you always had this entrepreneurial drive in you? No, I wouldn't consider myself an entrepreneur. I have great admiration for those people who are entrepreneurs. I'm not a good businesswoman. I'm a good advocate. I wouldn't know how to take my business from one spot and look at it and bring it to its next level. That becomes organic. And I have great, great admiration for those people who will invest a lot of money and time into their business. And I've represented a lot of them and walk with them around the kitchen table as they stress over whether they can put food on the table for their kids and whether their decision to go out on their own and build a business was a worthwhile decision. And going through that process, kudos to everybody out there who considers themselves an entrepreneur. I'm a solo practitioner. I work by myself. I hire people when I need them. And 
I give great, great admiration to real entrepreneurs. But it sounds like you definitely have that spirit about you, like the idea to just really plunge in. You know, and I imagine... Oh, I'm, I'm definitely a plunger, and I try and remember <laughs> to keep the life jacket with me, but occasionally, you know, I get in there and it's a journey. It's a journey. And it sounds like, do you, this is something that comes up, and I, I've heard it a few times in the last month, and it seems like you're an appropriate person to ask this question to. What do you do when you don't know what you don't know? I find um, I don't know what I don't know in the process of figuring out the things I know I don't know. And what I mean by that is when someone comes in and they give me uh, a project, I'll be perfectly honest with you. Some pieces of it, I say to myself, oh, my God, this is amazing. And other times I say, holy shit, I'm not, <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. And then I say, can I get right back to you? <laughs> I hang up the phone and I spend some time pulling myself together. And I sit down and I break it down into small pieces and I get started researching and reaching out to people. And I am very honest with clients who come in. I have um, one of my favorite stories that I believe I might have told when I was invited to participate in the UMass panel. I know I tell it frequently because I so love the story. I was hired by someone for a particular project and all of a sudden, out of the blue, they were invited to write a book. I suggested I don't know anything about negotiating publication rights. We should get an agent. We hired an agent who the client then called and said, I don't care if you have to learn it or how long it takes you to learn it. I'm not using the agent. I trust you to do it. That was one of those times when I said, oh, how exciting. I'll call you right back and then felt like growing up. <laughs> I mean, you had asked me to be really honest. That's honest. I think people who are so sure they know what they're doing all the time aren't really as authentic. Um, although when I know what I'm doing, I know what I'm doing, but this was one of those times where I was quite sure I'd be skin in my knees and carrying a box of Band-Aids everywhere I went. <laughs> I got a lot of help. We finally negotiated a deal, which I thought was a very good deal for the client, and he was very happy. And then, like within a century, I giggled and thought, oh, my God, can you believe that this becomes New York Times best-selling author? And sure enough, it made the best-selling list for sports, and it was on the best-selling list for two months ahead of Derek Jeter's book. <laughs> and you're a Red Sox so, fan, so I'm sure that fact is is not lost on you. <laughs> I am a huge Red Sox fan. He wrote a book about the Red Sox. Uh, it's a very cool book. It's called Red Sox uh, Rhymes, Curses, and Verses, if anybody wants to pick it up. It's really about baseball in general, but he happens to be with the Red Sox. And uh, I didn't write the material so I can't take credit for the fact that it's such a fabulous book only he can but I took out my band-aids and off I went and he's now on his second book and um, and doing a lot of work so and I learned a little something in the process yeah what else did you learn I mean I'm sure like the the legal nitty-gritty things but what did you take away from the process um, in addition to learning a lot about the industry, 
and the people who are in the industry and the views that they have so that you have an idea of what the world is like in publishing. Um, I learned that some of the people who I held on such a high pedestal who I was a little, um, a little, I guess you could say a little enamored and a little intimidated by, um, once we started talking about real life matters, I mean, we all, for women, we all have multiple tasks in our lives, some of which involve family matters, uh, personal matters. When you get right down to personal and family matters and people's views of life, uh, we all are just the same. And it became a lot less uh, difficult to negotiate things when we actually were all trying to accomplish the same thing, and that was something that I definitely believed from my core. It wasn't an us versus them. Got it. Got it. Donna, I can't picture you being someone intimidated at all. When I watched you on that panel at UMass, like you were a total pistol. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you. So the idea that... keep it to ourselves then. (laughs) (laughs) Right, because I mean, you have a history of also being a significant gender barrier breaker. You became the first female partner at your law firm. I did. So how can you talk a little bit about that and how that came to be? Because I know that that was something you touched on when I heard you speak, and it really stuck with me. I can't explain how I got there, but I'd like to think it was because I did good work, that they appreciated the work I did. I had clients who thought I was doing a fabulous job for them, and they and they would share it with the senior partners. Um, I worked day and night. It was my entire life being a, um, being a lawyer. I just loved being a lawyer. And when the time came to determine my partnership and to be considered, I can't tell you what happens in the room, although there are some things that I've been told about those conversations that um, I won't say out loud, but let's just say that it was a girl versus boy kind of situation and was I going to fit in because I was a woman? And you know what? I didn't really fit in. I wasn't one of the guys. I didn't try and be one of the guys. And I don't know if that's good or bad because I think in many cases, circumstances evolve where women can be one of the guys and it works great and people can accept them for who they are as one of the guys, and some don't. We all have to do it our own way, the way it feels the most comfortable. I was extremely proud to be their first woman partner. They've never had a woman partner since then, and frankly, I'm not sure if that's because I did a good job or a bad job. You broke the mold. (laughs) They might have thrown it out. Um, (laughs) But I worked very hard, and and I believed that I was very good at what I did, I wasn't the best, I wasn't the worst, but I worked hard. I served my clients in their best and highest interest. I had tremendous integrity. And I think that's really important for success in in anything, no matter what it is we do. Um, But that was so many years ago. And ultimately, I left the firm to stay home and take care of my children, which I thought was more important than being in a courtroom at the time. I I was in a courtroom one last time after my daughter was born. 
I was up all night long preparing. I walked into court. I made my argument. I walked out. I looked in the mirror and I said, ha, I still got it. And then I went home and put my briefcase away and never went in a courtroom again except to volunteer. Was that an easy transition for you? No. What was your no, experience I, like? I, for me, it was very hard to go from um, 24-7 as a lawyer to 24-7 as a mom. It's very, um, it's challenging to be alone all the time. And most of the people that I got to know I had to make new friends, and most of them were friends who had other children, so we had, ultimately, we had a lot in common, but it was really me and my kids, and that's a big change. That's a big change, and often, I'm sure this is very familiar, I hope it's very familiar to many people, the people who remained with their careers, I ended up having little in common with them because they were still talking shop. And I was talking diapers and baby food and, you know, this and that about my kids. I kept up with the law. I volunteered uh, with, the, with the Volunteer Lawyers Project. But it wasn't the same. I, I definitely was a mom. And I'm grateful that I took the time off of work. Not everybody has that privilege. And some people choose not to. But for me... I learned so much more about myself and myself in the world from my kids. I wouldn't have changed it, not for a minute. But it is tough once they grow up to recreate and reinvent yourself in the world again. You can't go back. It does seem challenging to... It's kind of like when I do the work that I do with women, I, I work with them over you know six to nine months and we make a ton of change happen in their life. And, you know, at the end, it's like, okay, well, what are the habits you're going to sustain going forward? What, you know, how are you going to keep those in place? And when you get a glimpse of how life can be different, it's often really hard to look back at, at the previous path you were on and think, oh, yeah, I should totally hop on that road again. I think that's a part of why your business is so successful. Because just the words you said, Helping people get to the next spot, helping people uncover possibilities and not rely on the past for the future, that's something from the times that you and I have chatted that you do very well and you do it in a way that's supportive, that's understanding, and that's encouraging. And once you cross over the line and you look back, you know, for me, I look back and I think, God, what took me so long to get here? And it just, that was the journey. What took you so long to get here was a question you said you asked yourself. Was that from a place of striving or was that from a place of knowing? I think I must have known somewhere. Um, it's frightening. I wasn't in a successful marriage. It was frightening to stay and it was frightening to leave. That was hard. Um, that was probably my first big change in my life was leaving that marriage and working with my children and working to pull myself back um, together and create a new life on my own. And I was, I was scared to do it in the beginning, 
And now that I live my own life and I make my own decisions and my children are really two of the most terrific people I've met in my life, you know, they grew up with their own... I mean, every person has their own genes. I can't take 200% credit that they're terrific, but I admire (laughs) them that they are terrific. And when I think about it, occasionally I think, why did I wait so long to get out? And then there's other times I realize it's only time when it's time. And um, I think we all have stories on that kind of a journey one way or another. But gosh, am I glad I am where I am. Awesome. I love when I hear women say something like that. Like, I'm happy I'm where I am. I'm happy my life fits me now. <laughs> right. And it never fits perfectly. No. <laughs> it never fits perfectly. It's like a bunch of puzzle people, pieces, and every once in a while during the day, they all fit together, and it's like, holy crap. And then the next day, it's all back to I think of that. Do you remember that board game from, like, the late 70s, early 80s called Perfection? where it was like you you it was like this plastic board that had all these little pieces and you pushed the board down and you had to hurry up and put all these little different shaped pieces into their spots before the board shot up and like threw all the pieces on the floor. Uh no, but I can follow your logic. Yeah, I picture life like that. Like every day we get up and it's our attempt to like put all the pieces on the board correctly. <laughs> before like the end of the day and the board pops the pieces off again and and we can start over and in my job um, that is my job for each of the clients that I take into my practice I watch that puzzle and I break it down into small pieces and I build it back up and I help them with whatever it is that happens to be going on at the time whether it's legal or personal or business or philanthropic, uh, that's my job, making sure those pieces stay relatively level and even in managing in crisis so that the client can go ahead and be the best that they can be and I take care of everything else. So I just picture you, Donna, and I've seen you. You're not a gigantic woman. I just picture you carrying, like, all these people on your back every day. Like, okay, we're moving forward, team. And someone's writing a book <laughs> behind you and someone's swinging a baseball bat behind you. <laughs> How do you do good work for your clients and make sure that you're also taking care of you? That's a challenge I face every day. I travel a lot. And I love the travel. I love the people I work with. I'm not the best person to give advice on how to take care of oneself in that kind of a situation because I'm always in a whirlwind. And when I think I'm managing just fine is when I lay down in my bed and fall asleep before my head hits the pillow and then I realize, I guess I didn't do that that well. But I do take time every morning to sit with a cup of coffee. That's my one pleasure in the morning before I start my day. I will sit I will enjoy my coffee. Wherever I am, I'll look out the window, make my list, and then off I go. And before I know, it's the end of the day. So I don't know that I do it right, and I don't know that I would give great advice to anybody on how to do it because it's such a personal thing. I love the work I do. I'm available to my clients 24-7, although I do hope that they appreciate 2 o'clock in the morning should be a real urgent matter. (laughs) 
<laughs> otherwise email me. But I'm very attached to the work and to the success of the clients that I take. And so I'm, I make myself available. Got it. Your dedication is amazing to hear. And I think your honesty is also really important to hear because, and maybe it's because I live in the land of health and lifestyle and, you know, people are doing yoga for two hours a day and drinking green juice and, you know, everything's hunky-dory and they have four hours for self-care. I, I think hearing from real women like you that are willing to be honest and say, yeah, I don't know that I'm the poster child for self-care because it's really hard. I admire the women who are committed enough to take time out of their day to meditate, to do yoga, to exercise, to um, even just to spend time alone. And I'm someone who, if I've got too much going on or I've been traveling too much, I'll take a few days, come to my house, and just enjoy my own company for a few days. But I don't do it on a regular enough basis, and I admire the women that do. When you hit a place of burnout, where do you go or, or what do you do? Like, what are you doing when you're at home and sort of hanging out with yourself? What helps you recharge at that point? I really just my own company. Being alone, I have a beautiful home and coming here for a few days and just, um, you know, there are the occasions, to be honest, that I binge on Netflix. That's not a bad way to escape the world for a little while. <laughs> and if anybody says they don't binge on Netflix, I'd like to meet They're them. dirty liars. <laughs> <laughs> but spending time on my own, that's really uh, healing for me. And then I'm prepared to go back out into the world. Having my kids around uh, and, and hanging out and chatting with them and just spending time together. Uh, chill is something I I love. I just I adore that. And they're they've now left left the nest, so that time is really precious if I can get them both around at the same time. Oh, I can imagine. I, when my husband is one of four, and when like all four kids are together at my in laws, it's like my mother in law just glows. <laughs> yes, exactly. And that's how I feel when I'm with my brothers. My my daughter calls it the parent family. My brothers, <laughs> my sisters-in-law, and I, and my kids, we just hang out. That's home. So that sounds like that's also really restorative for you as well. Being with my family? Yeah. Who's going to be more honest with you than your kids or your brothers and sisters? True really. story. <laughs> <laughs> True story. And they can get away with it. But I rely on them for their for their honesty and their and their observations. And I think that's so important. I mean, you need to have the people that will tell you you have spinach stuck in, in your teeth. And it, also just that social connection. I mean, what I'm finding more and more in the research and, and kind of how I think about what I do. Social relationships are a huge foundational piece of our health. And I think sometimes we, we discount that fact. So I'm, I'm glad that you're, you're sharing this and, and talking about it. Well, even if we don't have siblings, 
there's always a couple of people who are our family by choice. I have a couple of those too. And, you know, they're my foundation in life. I don't know what I'd do without them. But I spend a lot of time with people in my business. So having time alone is is a real gift. And I've spent a lot of time in my lifetime representing men. So when I started representing women and and some of the challenges they had, it made me realize the course of my life, I had those same challenges, I just didn't realize it at the time. And I've I've gained a great amount of knowledge representing women who are breaking gender barriers and who are managing with unique sets of circumstances, different from them. And I have to ask this question. You represent the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League members, correct? Many of them, yes. So, and listeners, for those of you who are not aware of what the AAG, GB, GPBL <laughs> um, are, these are the women that you heard their story in the Gina Davis movie, A League of Their Own, correct? Yes, and it happens to be the highest grossing baseball movie that has ever been made then and today in today's numbers. And it's the 25th anniversary of the movie. There's lots of celebrations going on around the country that um, both the actresses who were in the movie and the original players who were in the movie and the girls who are playing baseball today and trying to get ahead in the world of baseball today are all celebrating together among the generations. My oldest client is 90, uh, and she's all the way May. She, She was played by Madonna. (laughs) <laughs> and my youngest client is 14 oh in, the, my. in the baseball world. So, Donna, first, let's back up. How did this come to be? Oh, it came about through my son. He's a, he's a huge baseball fan. His goal in life is to become a clubhouse assistant and ultimately manager for a major league baseball organization. That's his lifelong dream, full-time job and career. And he loved the movie A League of Their Own. And when we were at FanFest for the All-Star Game, there was a table and the All-Americans were there. And we went over to meet them. And that was the first time I met Maybelle Blair, who was played by All the Way, at All the Way May. And we hit it off and we started talking about women in baseball and the needs of being able to give women opportunities within the big picture of baseball, not just playing on the field with men, but having their own leagues and working in operations and, and really advancing the cause. And I was sold. And I've been, let's see, it's been probably four or five years now that I've been working fastidiously with, um, with baseball players, both men and women, as part of my company. That is amazing. What have you learned from these women? Because, I mean, what they did and and what they showed women in terms of literally having a league of their own and and being able to show us that women could play sports, which was like unheard of for the most part back then. What have What have you taken away? It's an amazing 
It's an amazing thing. If any of your audience ever gets an opportunity to talk to one of these women, or there's a book actually that just came out, Dr. Cat Williams, who's a professor at Marshall University, just wrote a book. And it's about life after the league. And it's the stories of these women. It's fabulous, fabulous book. Um, they had so much determination and commitment that and love of this game that nothing bothered them. If you talk to them about comparing how they played to the way men play today, no offense to our players in the major leagues today, but they never once complained. They got bruised and banged up and you didn't see them missing a game. Because if they missed a game, there was always someone else standing in line ready to take their place. They weren't going to give it up. They wore dresses. They didn't have pads. They didn't have protection. But they played for the love of the game. And they cared deeply about each other on the team. I mean, they spent all their time on a bus. They played seven days a week and sometimes double headers. And the only time they didn't play is if it was a rain Oh, my God. One of the women, one of the women who uh, I do represent, I asked her, so what happens when you were done with the league? She said, the head of Northrop Aircraft came to her and said, I want to hire you. What you did on the field and the way you were a team player in a sport for the first time among women I want you on my team at Northrop Aircraft. And she turned him down twice and eventually said yes on the condition that she could learn everything about his business before she was given any assigned title because she didn't want anyone taking advantage of her. She would go out and drive the trucks herself so that if someone called her and said, this is broken or that's broken, she'd know herself how to fix it and ultimately became the first woman manager at Northrop Aircraft. Now, those are stories we don't hear every day. And when we do hear them, it's, it's almost like it was a fluke. This, this has been going on for a long time. There's lots of movies out now showing the accomplishments of women who did it just because it was the right thing to do. And many of the women from the league went to school. They got an education. They became doctors. They became teachers. Some of them chose to become of homemakers and raise children. But they had those choices as a result of being given an opportunity to play ball. And today they still go around as ambassadors, speaking all over the country and encouraging men and women to play ball together. Every time a girl steps out on the diamond to play baseball, it teaches a young man and his father and a young woman and her mother that it can be done. And I imagine when you learn that lesson so powerfully, like these women have, when you learn that anything is actually possible, like everything else after that, I mean, I, I can't picture these women using the word impossible. It's not in their vocabulary. I, I can give you an example that stands out right now as you ask the question. Rockford... Illinois is the home of the Rockford Peaches, which was made famous also in that movie. And there was a piece of property that was being donated right across the street from the field by our stadium where they played. And I got called by some of the ladies and said, we want you to do this project. Arrange for us to get the property, raise the money, build an education 
center in a museum. And I looked at them that like they were absolutely off their rocker. <laughs> and what they said to me is, we, we know you can do it, and we want it done while we're still on this side of the graph. <laughs> no small, pr- no, no pressure there, right, Donna? No pressure, right, right. <laughs> but, but, you know, there was a great team put in place, and they worked diligently every day, and they got the property, and they created the International Women's Baseball Center, and they work with a lot of organizations. They have young girls. They have um, girls from the Team USA women's baseball team. They have the actresses from the movie. They have uh, there's a gal named Justine Siegel who was the first woman coach in MLB. They have support from MLB. I mean, it's amazing what they can accomplish when they set their mind to it. Sometimes I just fasten my seatbelt and go along for the ride, make sure that all the papers are in place. But off they go. <laughs> This is amazing. Thank you so much for sharing this. You know, You're welcome. I love these women. As you share these stories, it makes me think, and, and you mentioned having moments that were dark in your life or that you felt fearful or you didn't know what the next step was. And that is definitely something that comes up in this crowd as well. What is your advice? Because it sounds like you have packed so many life lessons into that physical body of yours. Like, what advice would you have for those women that are feeling scared and not sure of what the next step is? Oh, gosh. I think one of the, one of the biggest gifts is to acknowledge that it's scary. And that's Okay. Because for our, for our whole life, we're so busy taking care of things and people and managing that it's okay to be scared. And it's okay to take a deep breath. And it's okay to just sit with it for a while until it works its way into a manageable situation. Nothing needs to be done right at the moment. There's, ne- there's never a time that you can't say, I'll get right back to you. I need a few minutes. Or, you know, sometimes I, there's a joke about, I have someone on the other line, can I call you back? <laughs> there's, there's, it's perfectly okay to do that. And, um, you know, one of the, one of the most um, insulting things that someone said to me in the course of my being so proud having been asked, to get involved in a project was, oh, don't be ridiculous. They don't care what you think. They're not interested in your opinion and they don't want your help. They just want a pretty girl in the room. Oh my God. I I just felt that in my stomach. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't breathe. And, you know, it took me a little while just to pull myself together and, and reflect on, this is where the mind goes, right? reflect on uh, what what was the name of the movie of the gal who wore pink and she had the little dog and ultimately ended up going to Harvard Law School. Was that uh, Clueless? I know the movie. Either. No. Uh, Legally Blonde. No. Oh, Legally Blonde. Okay, there <laughs> you go. So she just marched into the room and off she went. 
And I decided at that moment, well, if it's blonde that gets me in the room, it'll be my brains and my um, tenacious ability to get things done that will keep me in the room. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't give up my integrity to get in the room, ever. I know that there are, sto- believe me, there are stories men, men talk about the women who have given up their integrity to get where they are. Um, and some women are forced to do that. But um, if I got in the room because someone thought I had blonde hair and they wanted a girl in the room, well, I'll be the girl in the room. Because if I have the substance, then I'll stay in the room. And if I can't cut it, it will be very easy for them to let me go. That's happened too, where it just didn't work out. But I just, um, I don't know, I just keep going. If one path doesn't work, I try another one. So Donna, I have so many questions now after hearing that story because I think this touches on a lot of what I hear especially in private sessions Um, and you know I work with CEOs I work with lawyers I work with doctors I work with leaders and it's you know I've been doing this work for eight years so it not as many things surprise me but sometimes I'm blown away like these women that outside of the sessions I would think, oh my God, they just so have their shit together. They seem unafraid. They seem calm and collected. And then I hear moments like you just described where someone just drops a bomb on them and and they didn't know how to respond. Would you mind backing up and sharing? Like when that comment landed in you, I know me personally, I'm a little bit fiery a personality, so I I, I don't have a poker face at all. Like you would know my displeasure in a second. What did you do in that moment to not, I'm just going to say, what did you do in that moment? Nothing. I froze. I absolutely froze. I could feel it through my whole body. I how, absolutely How were you froze. able to escape the room? Or was it just you were quiet for the remainder of the meeting and then just made a beeline out? Uh, the one particular incident I'm thinking of I was not in a meeting. I was getting ready for a meeting. And it actually was um, was someone who was very close to me at the time. And I, I, there wasn't any way to have a conversation with them at that point. So I just quietly left the house. Sometimes good, loud music that you love in a car <laughs> helps. I used to work with someone that when he was having a bad day, you would just hear Metallica blaring out of his office. And that was always, that was always the sign, like, just leave him alone. (laughs) I think we all have our ways of, uh, our own ways of dealing with it. And there's no right answer because we're all individual. Um, But the one thing I do know is that I, I needed to stop and pull myself together and ask those three questions, which is, um, one, is it true? Two, is it coming from a person I respect and is their opinion worth respecting? And, you know, then I called my best girlfriend. What else do you do? (laughs) I'm on my way to a meeting. 
all, I, I don't know if we all do it, but. Um, and I had a great meeting, by the way, because I, I got lucky and I got to pull myself together. And once I got in the meeting and started talking, it was, I was proud of what I did. That's amazing. And I think those questions for self-inquiry, questions are something that I wield like a sword. It is, they are so important and they can cut through tension. They can cut through stress. They can cut through worry like nothing I've ever seen. So thank you for sharing what helped in those moments and, and kind of your thought process because I think that is really, really a powerful tool for women listening. The first time it happened, you know, I, I think that for me, I froze. The second time, I froze a little less. When people say it to me now, I laugh. <laughs> You're just like, eh, whatever. It's like so stupid. <laughs> really? Okay, great. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. But it takes it took me a while to get over that. Now, that's today. 35 years ago, 38 years ago, the first time I went into court, I was so excited about being in court, and I was so nervous. And the judge asked the lawyers to come up to the side of the bench, come up to the uh, sidebar. And I gathered up my papers, and I walked right up to the judge, and he looked at me and said, no, 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 dear, just the girls. Do you know, I didn't even notice. I just simply responded, no, 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 I'm, a, I'm, I'm one of the lawyers. Or he said, just the lawyers. I said, ah, no, I'm, I'm the lawyer. I'm representing them. Never thought twice about it. And for, you know, and then years later, someone says, no one's interested in your opinion, and I freeze. So we all react differently. It took a while to come back from that one. I think that's because I was married to the man who said that. I couldn't believe it came out of his mouth. That would that would definitely leave a little bit more of a scar, I think. <laughs> I like now your your second question, is this from someone I respect? Like definitely adds has more meaning now, more gravity. <laughs> it's really awful when the people closest to you are supporting you. It is a it is a challenge and you know, it's a it's parallel to what you're talking about, but I, I hear that all the time when women want to be, you know, I always say living a life spiked with passion and slathered with joy. You know, but really it's about women who are looking to have a life that fits them, fits their skills, fits their speed, fits their energy, and really kind of adjusting. I mean, one of the biggest barriers usually is negotiating all of that change with the people around them, whether it be parental units or spouse or children. And that's something that's really, really challenging. And, you know, that's where I think we share our common love of negotiation and, and having women be better negotiators. Sometimes I think the hardest, the hardest negotiation we have, at least for me, is the negotiation with myself. We create a conversation in our head and... We need to really focus the conversation so that we can then be the best that we can be. Absolutely. You know, I, I think of the those inner voices in my world. I call it the itty-bitty shitty committee because the, the, 
I love that. I mean, picture I it. You've seen, I mean, you've seen video clips of like British House of Parliament, right? Where they're all like banging gavels and yelling and wigs and flying and all of this like chaos. And I feel like that's what a lot of people are experiencing in their minds on the daily. That's true. I imagine there are moments that you're feeling either fear around making a change or is this the right decision? Am I taking care of myself? Like, like we're constantly met with all of that noise on a day-to-day basis. How do you, how do you work with it? How do you not have that get in the way of who you are and what you want to get done in a day? Uh, you know, I don't have great advice for that. I Sometimes I'll make a list. Sometimes I'll just focus on um, the work itself, and that gets me quite out of my funk, particularly if it's a new project and I'm learning a new area. I just If I just start to dig in, it all settles down. A lot of times, it's making a list. Is this like a task list, or is this a list of goals? Like, What kind of lists are we talking about? No, I don't make goal lists. I know that they're very popular. I, If I'm having a conversation in my head that's not putting me in the right place, I will really try and write down the notes I need for whatever it is that's coming up. So if I'm entertaining and having uh, people over or clients over and I start to feel overwhelmed by the hosting because it's getting near the time and things aren't done yet. And um, I'll just start making a list. This is what needs to be done. This can be done then. This can be done then. And it it sorts it out. When it has to do with my self-confidence, I'll write down the issues to be addressed in a project or in a meeting. If it... uh, if it involves my kids, most of the time I just keep my mouth shut because <laughs> listening is one of the most powerful negotiating skills I've ever come across. And just sitting and being quiet is an amazing, amazing, powerful tool, no matter what's going on in your head at the time. Because it, it gives you a chance to hear and understand better and also gives the other person a chance to really sort out what's in their mind. And it's not always what what is the first thing that comes out of their mouth? Did I answer the question? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I'm always fascinated, and I think a lot of the people listening are fascinated with just how are what, are what are we doing as women in those quiet spaces that allow us to continue to put one foot in front of the other? So I, I think what you just shared is really meaningful. I'm glad. And you mentioned how holding the silence is a really powerful negotiation technique. It's also a very powerful coaching technique. Um, So we share that in common as well. As you think about women specifically, what what are other skills women can use to improve their negotiation skills the fastest? I'm a great believer there that the most powerful skill in negotiation is to know yourself. 
because there's always a trigger in a negotiation that may have nothing to do with the negotiation and it just triggers you for one reason or another and it could set you off your course. So knowing what your strengths are, what your challenges are when you come into a negotiation is really important and to have the the power and the ability to say, well, basically, the story isn't going to end this way. Uh, and the second is to really do my homework and to know my audience, research my audience. And sometimes I, I end up researching my audience during a meeting while I'm learning new things. And I always feel comfortable saying, let's pick this up another day or another time or not everything needs to be done in the moment. And the third is to really know if it's for me, for my benefit, or if it's for a client's benefit, or even if it's for one of my kids. I, I have a child who's a special needs child, and I negotiate on his behalf often. It's to really know what they need and what it is that's going to best suit them. And with those three things... Uh, you know, and the fourth, which is my favorite, which is, well, on reflection, after I've <laughs> not done it exactly the way I wanted to, that's the most useful way to get back into a conversation. Those are the things that I use. I think everybody has their own way of doing things. But that's those a brilliant me. tool, on reflection. <laughs> it saves a lot of face, doesn't it? Oh, it's definitely, not only does it save face, it gets you back in the conversation. And I think that's important. I mean, you have been a pioneer at sort of getting yourself to the table. And I think, you know, it, it makes me think, I, I recorded an episode with Minda Hartz, who is from an organization called The Memo. And she's someone really hell-bent on helping women of color get their seat at the table. But I think you've been someone who's been able to hold that seat at the table. What's helped you do that? Is it purely negotiation or are there other aspects that that other women can apply and we can learn from? Well, I don't always get to have a seat at the table. It's not a perfect world. I don't always get to keep a seat at the table. But I believe that if I work with integrity and authenticity and I work hard and I open my mouth when I I try and open my mouth only when I have something <laughs> to contribute, that doesn't always work. <laughs> I was going to say, teach me, wise one, teach me. <laughs> I know, right? No, we, we all do it. It's, it's eventually going to lead to keeping my space at the table or being invited back to the table and its reputation. I had, um, I had someone out in Los Angeles in the entertainment business, very, very high up who inquired. Um, so who's Donna Cohen? Who I've never heard of her. And I am a confidential advisor. So I don't, um, other than the gals from the League of Their Own, I don't really talk about the people that I represent because, you know, confidence is confidence. And the person 
to whom the question was asked called me and said, you know, so-and-so called me wanted to know who the hell you were. And I asked, what did you say? And I was thinking to myself, smart, witty, gets it, you know, creative. He said, discreet. I said, really? He said, yeah, that's, that sets you apart from everybody else. And although I was surprised and a little disappointed at the words I wanted to hear, uh, I got the gig. <laughs> and it was someone that I didn't actually think thought much of me. So there you have it. You never know. You really never do. <laughs> you really never do. Which is why you're just going out there. Yeah. How do you... How do you keep get, getting out there? How do you keep going out there? Because networking is also a challenge for women sometimes. I got advice from a client on it once. And he said, stay in the traffic. So I'm in sports and entertainment. I, you'll find me at events around sports. You'll find me at events around in the entertainment Field. I travel with clients so people can see me actually working. Uh, I try not to spend a lot of time in areas that um, have no particular benefit to me. I mean, I'm not, I'm not that strategic about it, but I like to be places in the work that I'm doing. So I'll go to FanFest for baseball. I'll go down to sound checks for clients who are who are in the music business and stay with them all day through through everything and stay through the show and after the show. I'll go to events that celebrate people in my workspace. I am a member of a lot of women's organizations because I think women sharing stories with other women is very powerful as well. Yes. You'd be surprised where I have meetings and how I've gotten clients. It's sometimes amazing to me. I got one of my, one of my favorite clients who's an actress um, and, very, and held in very high regard in the movie business because I happened to be at a, at a celebration event and something came up and, and I just stuck my nose in straightened it out, and she said, are you available for hire? Someone fell on the floor. <laughs> so you never know. No, it's so true. Uh, my husband jokes all the time, and clients started over the years calling me the poo whisperer. You know, we I, I, that I talk about shit both figuratively and literally in my work. And it was so funny. I don't know what cosmic door I've left ajar in life, but I can go to a grocery store and or a networking event. And even sometimes without telling people exactly what I do, like they just feel comfortable enough to tell me about bowel movements and and things like that. And so my <laughs> husband sometimes like looks at his watch you know, he'll see me like talking to someone. He's like, all right, T minus three minutes. She's going to know about this person's bowel habits. <laughs> so, yeah, stranger things have happened. 
I think you are very good at what you do. I can tell by listening to you. And anyone that's lucky enough to work with you, um, I hope they take really good advantage of it. Thank you. I appreciate that. And Donna, there are some questions I love to ask all of my guests. And, you know, we've kind of covered some. And so I may I may jump over a few. But how do you organize and manage your tasks on a day-to-day basis? Because you are jet-setting. You're working for different clients. You're, you're doing so much, all of your philanthropy work. How do you get yourself together? Oh, you're assuming I am together. So <laughs> Fair we enough. just get rid of that <laughs> notion immediately. I make lists. I make lists, I make lists, I make lists. Every time I think of something, I just write it down, even if it's on a napkin. Stick it in my purse. And then how do you review stuff and figure out what the priorities are? Is that during coffee time in the morning, or is coffee time really just zoning out? Uh, No, it depends. Sometimes at the end of the day, sometimes in the beginning of the day, I'll make a, you know, I'll take all my little pieces of paper and make a full list and then go through what's urgent, what isn't, and make piles on my desk. I get a lot of, it's, it's, um, it's interesting. I used to take a plane ride, and I would sit there and I'd watch the movies and I'd read a book or I'd nap. Lately, I, get on a, I have a list before I get on a plane, and I have the files I'm going to work on, and from the minute I sit down, I start working. And I don't stop working until I get off the plane. It's the most quiet, concentrated time. And I go cross-country often. So, yeah, you have, a good, you have a good four to six hours to really crank. Yeah. And I bring stuff with me wherever I go so that if, if I'm tied up somewhere or someone's late or, or um, I have some extra time, I have stuff in the car that I could work on. So I'm not saying that's the healthiest lifestyle because I'm sure there's people out there who know more about maintaining a healthy lifestyle who would say I'm completely nuts. But that's how it works for me. And so that's how I do it. And I, I do think- try once the night is over to stop working. But that's how I do it, listen. Got it. And I can appreciate your honesty here. I mean, I think this show is about how are real women doing it? Like how are real women who are successfully out there in the world doing what they want to be doing? How are they doing it? So I think your honesty is awesome. And it sounds like you've you've crafted this system of just corralling all the chaos. So I imagine by putting everything down on paper and being done with it and recording it and having it there – that you also aren't expending extra brain space thinking about, oh, I got to pick up milk. I got to do this. I got to do that. I still do that. I think we all still do that. Yeah, to some degree. To some degree. And Donna, you mentioned you used to read books on a plane. I don't know if you still have any time to read books, but I wanted to find out what one of the most useful and inspiring books you've ever read has been. I don't think there's just one really inspiring book. Um, There's my daughter 
for Mother's Day one year gave me the book Who Moved My Cheese because I was always talking about perspective. And it's a fascinating little book. I think it has a second book now that goes with it. But Who Moved My Cheese was pretty interesting about, in general, what I got out of it was doing the same thing over and over and over is what the definition of insanity is. If it didn't work once, it's probably not going to work on the 17th time either. Yes. And so you've got to pick up your, you know, pull up your underwear and try something else. And that was one of the lessons I got out of that book. So I would say that kind of a book is reading people's biographies is fascinating because you do learn a lot about their lives and how they manage their lives, and watching documentaries. You know, there's made for Hollywood in there, made for public consumption in there, but basically you get to learn about people when you read biographies and autobiographies. Yes, true story. No, there isn't one in particular. I figured when you didn't really commit, I was like, yeah, she reads a lot of docu. Well, she watches a lot of docus and watch reads a lot of biographies. So I do, too. I think I, it would be a hard question to answer if I had to just pick one. And Donna, you you mentioned coffee time in the morning is an impactful start to your day. Are there any other habits in the morning that help set you up for success for the rest of the day? I'm embarrassed to say, no, coffee is <laughs> the elixir of life. Son, if you ask my son, he says, oh, my mom has to have her coffee in the morning. That's Got it. it. That's my break. You want to have the coffee. Where's the coffee? And then I'm all set to go. And what's your most impactful habit in the evening? Or in the second part of the day, I'll say. Uh, you mean once my once my activities are complete and it's time to just chill? Sure. If I'm if I'm home, uh, it's it's curling up on the couch with my two dogs. It's the most comfortable and cozy. Nice. So taking and that time to unwind. Right. Right. And I'll throw on the television for a distraction. Got it. Maybe a little Netflix binge happening. You know, it's a great <laughs> dealer. <laughs> it is, especially if you enjoy watching docus. There's like almost an endless stream of them. It's it's pretty interesting because I I find myself just talking to myself saying, oh, geez, you can't make this shit up. And <laughs> you can't. But it's true. I go through life that way. I've said that to clients when they call me with a problem. <laughs> Are you serious? You can't make this shit up. Okay, <laughs> fine. I'm on it. <laughs> yeah, I imagine the truth is stranger than fiction in your world. It's definitely fascinating. That's for sure. And Donna, I have a couple more questions and then we'll let you get back onto your day. But these, these next few questions are about women. How would you define being a modern woman? I guess being a modern woman woman is being authentic and true to yourself. There are so many gender descriptions 
put out by other people of who we should be, what we should be, how we should think, how we should feel. And to be the most modern today is similar to being the most modern back in the 1940s during World War One, where, you know, women knew that there was something that they could do for the war effort, and they started, I mean, there were women just pilots. There were women playing professional baseball because the commissioner of baseball said, that's the one thing we can't let go. When, when women got the boat, every era had, how do you define a modern woman? And the modern woman was the one who was true to themselves and authentic about it. And it sounds like able to eschew the labels. I don't think um, modern women necessarily notice the labels. Great point. Great point. And for those modern women listening, what would you love to see them give more of a shit about? Actually, other women. I think it's really important for us to support each other. We have a lot of common challenges. We have a lot of common successes. We have a lot of common strategies. There's a lot to learn from each other, and we need the support from each other. Yes. I, I couldn't agree with you more, and I can tell you dis- being discreet is something that's important to me in my work. And I was, this podcast, one of the main reasons that it came into existence was because I couldn't, I, I couldn't, it didn't feel right. Like I didn't have a way to connect other women. Like there were times where I'd look at my week and I'd think, gosh, I wish Miss Monday at 3.30 could talk to Miss Thursday at 10 a.m. because they would see they are so not alone in this mess, this mess we call life. So I deeply appreciate you highlighting that and drawing attention to it. And I always like to ask the converse, which is, what would you like to see modern women give less of a shit about? You're going to laugh when I say this, but other women. (laughs) I'm assuming the opinions. you You know the kind of women I'm talking about, though. Yeah, there can be, yes, there can be real rivalry. I mean, I remember some of... It can be tough out there. I remember some of the toughest women when when I was still working in finance. The female partners that I worked for in particular, and I can't speak for all female partners at all big three or big four firms or however many there are now these days. You know, they were the toughest critics. I could have been able to chew glass for breakfast and that still wouldn't have been good enough. It's it's hard to find the people that we can um, that we can feel comfortable around who we can um, feel comfortable sharing the challenges that we have because we always have to be so successful and right and smarter and and more creative and more strategic. And we always have to keep one eye open for that that person who's going to 
uh, take it to the next level and try and destroy it. One of the most challenging things about being successful is people who want to see you fail once you get successful. How do you combat that? Like, what's something that you do to not let that get under your skin? Oh, it always gets under my skin. I think one of the successes I have is that I'm sensitive. It helps me in my business to do well. I can also uh, disengage really quickly. And, and I mean, I when I fight, I take no prisoners. When I negotiate, everybody in the room gets to be at the table. When someone tries to hurt me, you know, I need to take a step back and regroup. I really do, so I can get back in, in a, in a confident way. And, you know, you get, it's really important to get to know the enemy. You always have to stay friends with the enemy. Otherwise, you don't know when they're coming up behind you. That's a great point. It's an important point. And Donna, you've shared so much, and you've been so incredibly generous with your time and with your experience and with your wisdom. Is there anything you would like to share, anything at all, to the Levital Corsalon tribe listening? I think it's really one of the things I've learned is things aren't always as you see them. There's always something behind whatever it is you see, whatever it is you're faced with. And I was a um, successful lawyer in my own little world. I like to think that I was a really good and committed mom, still am. I was in a really awful marriage. People don't always understand what goes on in people's homes and how difficult it is to manage through a day and to manage through different relationships and lifestyles and be able to accept um, that things need to change. It's real, it takes a huge amount of courage. I have a child who has special needs. I'm, I work really hard. I'm, I'm not the best at it, but I never give up on my kid. Um, I have a daughter who's the most amazing best friend in the whole world, but we work really hard at it. It's not easy every day. So it's just, it's not easy every day. But I wouldn't have it any other way because I have the most amazing life and I'm really, really lucky. Really lucky. And we're all really lucky to have you here. And, you know... I don't think that so much was advice for other people, but I think... Sometimes it's just important to know other people's stories more than listen to, here's the five things you should do in life and here's the five things you should think about. Hell yeah. <laughs> yes. We, we need to hear the realities and we have to recognize that people are multifaceted. And to your point, you have no idea what's going on at home. You have no idea what's going on with family members. You have no idea what weight this person is carrying on their back. And we, we need to be mindful of, of judging others. And I think that's a really important message, especially in these, especially in this time of politics and 
and press and and the whole milieu of just this culture of not listening and jumping to quick judgments and the age of outrage. I think anywhere that we can keep reminding people to just stop judging and look at people as, as human is so important. So thank you. You're welcome. And Donna, for, for people listening that want to get a hold of you, how, what's the best way for them to do that? I have a company called Donna Cohen Strategies. Uh, there's an email. It's DonnaCohenStrategies at gmail.com. That's probably the easiest way to reach out. Um, I call Fieldbox 59 at Fenway Park, my home away from home, if you happen to <laughs> be at a game. <laughs> Careful if you invite me. I have ended up in stranger places when people have like offhanded said, hey, yeah, you can find me at this place. Or, hey, yeah, do you want to go to Moscow? And off I went. So careful what you wish for, Donna. <laughs> you might find me bringing you popcorn someday. <laughs> Any, anybody is welcome to visit me at Fieldbox 59 if I'm in town. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Really, from the bottom of my heart, I I learned a lot. I think my listeners have learned a lot. And Truly, I am, I am so grateful to have this conversation with you today. Well, I'm excited that you called me. I think you have a great program, and I wish you all of the success in the world. Thank you. That's right back at you, lady. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye. Hey everyone, this is Kara again. Thank you for tuning in and listening all the way to the finish. You can find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode over at Le Vital Core Salon. L-E, Vital, C-O-R-P-S, Salon.com. And new shows typically will roll out on the second and fourth Wednesdays of each month. And if you were listening and liked some of the advice and tips that we talked about, I also share a lot of these kinds of tips through my twice-monthly newsletter. And that's a great way to have questions for reflection, resources, tools, and links to podcast episodes roll right into your inbox twice a month. So you will be in the know about everything going on. And if that's your jam, you can sign up at levitalcoresalon.com. As always, before I run out of here, I want to always give a big thank you to my producer, Craig Snyder. He helps my guests and I sound like total professionals, you know, balancing levels and doing all the crazy, scary things that it looks like he does in Pro Tools. And I deeply appreciate all of his work. And I also want to shout out Rishi Deer of Elephant Stone for writing the best theme song on the face of the earth, or at least in my humble opinion, and the high dials for performing it and allowing me to use it. It's such a great and inspiring thing, and I feel jazzed as I listen to the theme song sometimes. And I'm not going to lie, it's on my gym mix too. So I appreciate it in all sorts of ways. And don't forget, before you barrel headlong back into your day, you deserve a life spiked with passion and slathered with joy. 
yes you, and yes you really deserve it. So don't let bullshit and burnout slow you down.